I love that we know how it ends, that Jesus is worthy. Now he was worthy, he will be worthy forever. The only one who's worthy of anything he'll ask you to do. I never could have imagined the ways he would write each day, each event, joy and sorrow, but he's been worthy of everyone. The missionary life. What is it? And who does this kind of thing? Welcome to the Inlander podcast, where we explore the missionary journey through interviews with people serving across a spectrum of places and ministries. Men and women who have left good jobs, sold homes, and said goodbye to the comfortable and familiar, all in answer to Christ's call to share his love among the nations. From remote desert outposts to the bustling streets of some of Africa's busiest urban centers, we look at what it means to pack up a life and follow Christ to the ends of the earth. Welcome to the Inlander podcast. I'm your host, Rachel, and today we have an amazing AIM couple here with us today. They are the best. Jake and Mandy, welcome to the podcast, you guys. Uh, Thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here. It's so good to see y'all. And well, that's we're from Texas, obviously, saying y'all, I feel very comfortable (laughs) saying y'all. But um, yeah, fellow Texans here, take us from the beginning. How long have y'all been with AIM and what was the beginning of y'all's journey? Yeah, so we've been with AIM. Uh, We were appointed in the summer of 2011, which just feels like a long time ago now. And we both felt called to missions before we started dating, um, knew that we wanted to to serve the Lord in that way. And so uh, in dating and getting ready to get married, we, we knew that we were going to head to the mission field. So we were married about a year before we came to what was then called Candidate Week and in Pearl River, New York, and were appointed there um, with really no idea where we were headed or what um, the Lord was going to do, just willing to go and wanted to go to Africa. Yeah, that's so exciting. So what do you remember like about that process of figuring out where is God calling me? What team are we going to join? What do you remember about that process? Yeah, it was so interesting to try to navigate that. Even during candidate week, I remember other people being really confident of where they were headed. And honestly, the sin of comparison, thinking this incredible person is headed to this really difficult place. I could never do that or I'm different from this person in these ways. And so really needing to do some soul searching and trusting that God was navigating all of those details. We committed to one team and found out it was full, like the day that we submitted that email. And so, yeah, really an experience of letting God lead through that time and some opening and closing of doors and ultimately deciding that we were going to join a Timo team in Chad Um, and growing in our excitement about that. Before we had applied with AIM, we didn't know anything about Muslim ministry. We didn't even know much about the religion of Islam. So we had a lot to learn in a short time. Jake and I had both prayed about potentially attending seminary, knowing we wanted to further our growth um, in that area. And so Timo was honestly a perfect fit for us back in the day, getting to go and live among an unreached people group, to learn a lot as we were living among neighbors and to get to continue our study on the field. And so it was a lot of things we'd hoped to get to do, um, kind of all wrapped up in one. That's awesome. And so, yeah, on the podcast, we've talked about a Timo team before. It's a two-year training team. 
great SU transition to the field. And so transitioning to a Timo team in Chad, what do y'all remember about that process? Your first memory? What was it like to finally touch down on the ground? Yeah, so we had both served um, short term, very short term in, in Eastern Africa before. And so that was our only context of what Africa was like. And so getting to Chad where it's hot, um, we got there in the middle of hot season, you know, desert, the people look very different. Um, it was a little bit of a shock. There was no like short term uh, kind of feel good moment. It was just like, okay, we're here. But then we quickly, because of Timo and the values that they teach, we quickly got involved in the community and started meeting neighbors and learning language and learned that uh, people were very friendly and welcoming and loving. And so we were able to build that community very quickly because of all that. Yeah. We had really gracious team leaders who were so kind to help us along in those early days and really all throughout our time. We have four boys. Our oldest, Jackson, was 10 months at the time. And so just becoming a family of three relatively recently um, and then saying goodbye to our families, we were in need of family. And I would say we found that on our team and we found that among our neighbors. We have the fondest memories of um, those years learning and growing so much and filling that space that we so desperately needed. We love our families, are super close to them, and it was really hard to leave, but also getting to be surrounded by new people who could be spiritual mothers and fathers, who could be like brothers and sisters to us, who could be aunties and uncles and grandparents to Jackson was such a special thing. Yeah. My favorite story from those first few weeks is I remember in Timo, you you typically live in the same village or close to the same village, but kind of in your own neighborhood. And so um, we had been dropped off at our house and, you know, just trying to figure it all out. And maybe a week or two into being into the village, I told Mandy um, one evening, I'm just going to go for a walk. I want to walk around. There's a part of the neighborhood I haven't seen. And so I, I went out and just was kind of walking and praying. And I turned a corner and there was a whole neighborhood that I had never seen before. It was massive. I mean, just house after house after house. I feel like in that moment, God allowed me to feel a very minute amount of the weight of salvation. And I just was so burdened for these people. And I just was, it just brought me to almost to a point of devastation. How can I do this? How can I reach these people? How can I build friends with them and proclaim the good news? I mean, these people are lost and they need to know. And I just remember feeling crushed under the weight of that. And so I, I came home and I just told Mandy, I need a, a minute by myself. And I got a mat and laid it in our courtyard and just got on my face and and sobbed of, of just the overwhelming feeling of, um, I can't do this. And so I remember God and his, um, you know, sweet mercy just kind of through the Holy Spirit reminded me that salvation is not mine to give, that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's, it's not our job to, to worry about, I mean, well, we worry about the salvation of others, but our job is to be faithful, to abide and to proclaim the good news. And God is the only one that can bring dead hearts alive. And so just that realization made me maybe able to stand back up and say, all I can do is be faithful to what God is asking me to do. And the weight of salvation rests on his shoulders and not on mine. Uh, I remember one time David Platt said, and it's something that's really stuck with me, that the mission of God is urgent, but it's not frantic. We don't need to be frantic about this. We need to, there's an urgency, of course, we don't need to be frantic. And that just set me free to, to just live and learn language and proclaim to who God brought into my path and trusting God with the rest of it. And I'll say it was so sweet to share this burden as a team, as we were formed together um, and really became like family. We got to serve our first Timo team was a multinational team. Um, we had Canadians, Ethiopians, Australians. Americans, Australians. Um, which was an amazing combination and to see and learn each person's journey to Chad um, was such a gift. And then to see how God was burdening each of our hearts for one another and for neighbors, I will say there is nothing like homemade banana bread 
when you are miserably sick for the first time from drinking bad water or whatever the reason, just to have teammates that would come and sweep our sand or bring a treat um, just to encourage us to come and pray over us was so sweet and to get to be a part of that too. So as we were growing and forming together on team days and getting to share burden for neighbors, we truly became family with our team. And we're so thankful for that. And then also our neighbors became our family. And it was so special to see how God led different team members to interact in certain neighborhoods and then to learn, oh, this woman that I've met is the sister-in-law to your language helper. And just to start making those connections and join how the Holy Spirit was at work in drawing people was a really sweet thing. We are from Texas. We're from the South, like know all about Southern hospitality, but I will say I have never experienced hospitality like we did in our village in Chad. So, so kind and gracious. Lots of tea, lots of time sitting on mats, sharing peanuts and fumbling through language as we learned and people were so kind and gracious. My parents got to come out our first Christmas there and we got to throw kind of an honoring celebration for them. And one of the things that I love to learn in our neighborhood was how women interacted with each other, how friendship can look so similar and also so different in different contexts. No one in our part of the neighborhood had like a full, huge set of dishes that would be enough for a party. But the morning of the party, everyone gathers and brings what they have. And so then it's enough to feed everyone. All the women work to prepare the food and to serve the food. And then when it's done, you wash your dishes and each one goes home. And so I loved that thought that not one person had enough to throw this huge celebration, but everyone brings what they have. And it was such a fun way to honor my parents when they came. And then also in meals, as we shared among neighbors, you never return a dish empty. So it was like this perpetual sharing of meals, like as you returned a dish the actual platter, you also returned food with it. And I can't count the number of times Jake and I had just gotten in bed and we'd hear a knock at our gate. And sure enough, it was neighbor boys like, who is it? And they'd say, it's us. Like we would know exactly who it is bringing food that they had left over from their dinner. And so just so much kindness and was so special to get to be like family with our neighbors. Like Mandy said at the beginning we didn't know much about Islam or Muslim ministry. Um, and so uh, we honestly, because there was so much distance between us um, and a Muslim person, had a stereotype that we had heard from the news or from you know friends that didn't know. Um, but as soon as these Muslim men and women had faces and we saw that they were made in the image of God, all those stereotypes went away, that these are just men and women who want to care for their family, want to provide for themselves and for their family to honor one another and to honestly even seek God with all of their hearts. They just don't know the full truth. And so it became this beautiful, like melting away of the stereotype of saying these men and women, though they're Muslim, they're not, they're not ones to be feared or to be scared of because they're so much more similar to the, to we are than we even realized. And um, it became this beautiful community that we were really thankful for. When our boys would go visit with Jake, his friends would teach our boys how to wear a turban, you know, and there were times that we'd look up and realize Jackson had walked through the gate to our neighbors and was sitting next door. One of his first words was Aya, which is grandma to our neighbor. And he'd be sitting drinking a drink called Medide, which is like, yeah, like curdled yeah. milk and rice. Yeah, with our neighbor and, you know, just loving getting to know them. And they had so much kindness and patience with him. And so, so many special memories and, and fondness around being welcomed in like family. Oh my goodness, y'all just touch on so many beautiful things. I mean, starting off with team life, how crucial team is and can feel 
that role of family as missionaries leave their family to move overseas. And yeah, that is just so awesome. And just even talking about your multinational team, I love that AIM is is international, that we send people to Africa from all over the world. And a lot of our teams look like this. And I just think it, it perfectly shows the body of Christ and how diverse it is, but have that unity um, in the Holy Spirit. And so that was awesome. And then then moving to your neighbors became like family. Most people don't think that far. They're like, oh, I'm moving to these foreign people. I don't know them. And then that moment of you being brought into the community, of you knowing your neighbors, that is so incredible to hear. And yeah, just people becoming real people with faces and names um, mm. is so encouraging and that they're not so different from us. So that first year in Chad, what was a time when God really humbled you? Um, something unexpected happened or just a, a favorite memory? This is not a super spiritual memory, maybe more humorous, but I would say there's a whole list of lessons um, that you know you'll be learning that you even adopt as like a way of life in Timo. And one that I should have added to that list is don't make things harder than they have to be. <laughs> We had our team leaders over for dinner maybe two months in, and we're so excited to get to gather together and spend some time with them. And I was just getting ready in the kitchen as they came, and our team leader's wife saw what I was doing. I was sifting flour, and she said, Mandy, is that how you've been sifting flour? And I said, yes, (laughs) and it was through a tea strainer. When she had so graciously bought a flour sifter and it was just tucked back a little bit in the kitchen that they'd set up for us. And so for months now, (laughs) we got there in hot season, you know, easily 110 in my kitchen, sifting flour through a tea strainer. And I just thought, oh man, all those hours in sweat, like maybe God will redeem that somehow. To, To sift flour... Mandy would buy it from market and you sift it because there could be bugs or rocks or different things like that. And it would probably take her 30 minutes to an hour. I'd walk about 20 minutes to market, chat, greet women, make the rounds to different places, purchase flour, walk 20 minutes back. Yeah. And then sift it. You know, it's a whole process. Yeah. And then, and we learned with an actual flour sifter that the process that took her 30 minutes to an hour maybe five seconds. I mean, just like, and it's done. And so Mandy had made that a lot harder on herself than like, Lord, I'm willing to do hard things for you, but this is not what I had in mind. Yeah. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) So that's a funny story. Is there another story that comes to mind? Yeah, I think, you know, we were only there a year and had to come off the field because of um, our second being born with a congenital heart disease. And so the what really stands out to me is our team dynamics. We spent a, a massive amount of time in prayer together and just realized that it's it's prayer that is the work, you know, to to be together and to abide. And so just hearing people from different cultures and backgrounds pray, man, really grew my faith and helped me to grow deeper in my prayer life. I remember our first uh, team time together, we had been there, you know, one night, maybe two. And our team leader was saying, we need to be praying every time we're together for unity. And I remember thinking, we just got here, like nothing's happening, nothing's going wrong. And he, you know, just said, unity is something that's given to us. We see that in Ephesians and it's ours to keep. And so if we don't fight for it, we won't have it. And so every time we were together, we prayed for unity. And then we see in John that Jesus, and while he's praying for his disciples, says that the way that the outsiders at the world are going to know that I, Jesus, and the Father are one, and that the Father sent me is by the unity of believers. And so through our unity, we were able to show a Muslim community um, what that looks like. And and we got, people talked about it regularly that we, you guys are like a family and you respect our culture and you are always together. And towards the very end of our time, a guy actually came to Christ and 
it was such a beautiful celebration. And we knew that while it wasn't me personally that shared the gospel with him, it was through our team and then through encouraging one another to share boldly and regularly. That is so awesome to hear. And yeah, you mentioned the unexpected of your second child having a condition. And so I'd love to hear more about that and yeah, how that totally changed what your path looked like. Yeah, just continuing on that theme of the unity we felt in our team, we came home to have Benjamin as our second and expected a very healthy delivery. We'd heard he was a healthy little guy from sonograms we'd had. Um, But on the second day of his life, he took a turn and we found out pretty quickly that he had a very serious congenital heart defect. He was only born with half of his heart essentially, and would need a major long road of several open heart surgeries and multiple operations. And that felt so sobering to think about the year that we'd invested, which is not that long in the long term, but it felt like a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in one place that we so long to be for a a very long time. We're already missing our team. And just think back one of the most fond memories I have of the day he was born was getting a phone call from Chad. Our whole team had gathered just to send their greetings and congratulations. And our Ethian team, teammate said, you can call him Benjamin, but we are naming him Blessing. Um, and was just so precious before we knew um, anything else that was going to happen. And so I reflected on that often, just remembering what a blessing Benjamin's life was and what a gift he is to our family. Yeah, and it was incredible to see God perform miracle after miracle in his little life. We had about four years with multiple surgeries and just a lot of healing that took place for him. I'll say for Jake and I also, it felt a little bit like open heart surgery, naively thinking we were going to save lost people and that we had an intact theology of suffering. And Timo, we'd written a paper on theology of suffering, like we had it all figured out. And God just continuing to humble us and show us um, that true growth is continually being dependent on him. And that was the sweetest gift in that time to truly have to depend on him when it felt like everything else, even what we wanted to do for him, was taken away. And it was miraculous to see. Yeah, when when we found out about Ben, there were so many emotions, right, of you know, we've got to do what we need to do to make sure this kid is healthy um, and, and lives because that was on the line. Uh, and at the same time, we've also just now lost our profession. We've lost our, you know, we don't have a house. We don't have, you know, anything to go back to because we were heading back to Chad long term. And so it was a weird season of, of fighting for him and having to figure out, you know, what what's the job going to look like? You know, even some anger of, you know, God, we were willing to do this in this way and serve you in this way. And now it's being taken away. God was just so faithful through the whole thing to, to remind me even of that night on the mat of, of that salvation rests on his shoulders and not on ours. And it helped us to, to not just develop deeper theology of suffering, but to put it into practice. There was a lot of suffering, you know, handing your, your kid over for open heart surgery is an impossible task. And, um, but God gave us the grace to do it and to, to get through that every day. And so we were, you know, just so thankful for him in that season and thankful that his goodness showed itself in a way that, that Benjamin lived and, and, and is now doing really well and healthy because God's goodness is not dependent on the outcome of those surgeries. But we were thankful that God was most glorified through, at this point, Benjamin being very healthy and getting through those surgeries. And to continue to take seriously our role in prayer, mm-hmm. like Jake shared earlier, like urgently for the salvation of our friends, but not frantically. And the gift it was to know people by name, to continue to lift up, that God would soften their hearts, that seeds of the gospel would be sown, although we weren't there to do the work. And I'll say, even through those prayers and through that time of praying for Benjamin's healing, God continued to stir that desire to be back in Chad. We didn't know if it would ever be possible. It didn't feel like making a disciple of Benjamin and God's perfect timing and healing him and getting to ever be back in Chad would go hand in hand. But slowly and surely, 
Benjamin continued to do so well after each surgery. And so in 20, 2018, 17, 18, 2017, yeah. somewhere in there, <laughs> we agreed to be back where we were before in Chad as team leaders with a lot of hope and joy about getting to be back in a place that we loved with neighbors that we knew and had invested in, jumping back into language and culture and rhythms. We added another son in that time. So we had three boys headed back to Chad and we got to do language school in Quebec um, all of 2019, actually with mostly people who were headed to Chad. So it was really interesting to experience like the culture of snow and winter and extreme cold with people who were headed to Chad soon after. Um, And that was another really special season of getting to learn language with like-minded people. Yeah, and then we got back to Chad beginning of 2020 um, (laughs) to lead a team back in our village and was so special to get to see friends again and catch up, to get to have Benjamin meet our friends. Mm -hmm. They had heard through teammates about his journey and what had happened. And so to get to see him as the fun, amazing, spunky little boy that he is, is just such a miracle and a testament to God's power in his life and God's kindness. And so that was really, really special to have our boys back in Chad meeting our friends and looking forward to what he'd do. That was another one of those moments where we were questioning, like, God, you brought us all this way. You know, it was this full circle moment of having Benjamin back. And now we're having to leave again. Like, what in the world is going on? And again, God in his faithfulness just has continued to walk beside us in a season of mourning and processing through the loss of trying to get to Chad again and and then having to come off the field again. And it was very difficult, but we just learned the beauty and the worship of lament and what that is to hand God our sorrows and to hand God our even frustration and anger as an act of worship and that he can handle that. I think again, like being from the South, I always wanted to be very respectful to God, you know, and lament doesn't feel respectful. You led us here and now it's all crashing and burning. You know, that doesn't feel like something I want to say to God, but I just learned that that he is big enough to handle those emotions and deal with the the loss. Um, and he's worthy of, of going to Chad twice and having to come off the field. He's worthy of that loss. And we just continually, uh, like Mandy said earlier, Give him our friends in prayer. I mean, daily, we think about people that we know and love, don't know Christ. And our boys now too. And their exactly names they bring up often. Yeah. And even we see in the biblical genre of lament, it's this minor key song that God has given to his people throughout intense suffering and so much injustice. And so it's good and right to sing it to him, like towards him. And it helps our hearts not turn away from him, but turn towards him and pour out all that we're feeling. And so it truly was such a gift for us in that season and continued to form the things that we thought, again, we had figured out. He continues to be so gracious to humble us and and to keep teaching us. Yeah. And that kind of leads us to this season, yep. which after two, two terms in Chad, both very much abbreviated, shorter than we thought they would be. We've seen God breathe life into what felt like some scorched dreams in ways that we could never have pursued on our own. It's been really beautiful. Something that we learned that about ourselves and and why we even wanted to lead a team to begin with is that I would say as much as we feel called to reach unreached people groups, we also have a calling to care for missionaries. We want missionaries to be healthy we want missionary kids to be healthy. There is a way to do long-term ministry in Africa and not burn bridges with neighbors and not burn your family out. There's a way to do that that's healthy. And so we grew this passion for, we want to be a place where people can come and drink coffee and process. And so that's why we wanted to be team leaders to begin with. And God in this season really beautifully has now placed us here in the U.S. mobilizing region to to get to meet with and and coach appointees before they're heading to the field and speak into that that health and good rhythms setting you know setting boundaries and caring for your family well before you head to the field 
And so I'm able to coach as an appointee coach. So once people get appointed, then I help them find a place to serve, set a budget, and then walk through different training. Um, and then Mandy has a really cool role as well that she's getting to do. I get to help with our Bible assessments. And just like Jake said, this thing that grew in us, this desire to see people thriving, um, especially spiritually, it's so sweet to make sure that as people head out to unreached places where there's not a church and there's not a children's ministry and there's not women's Bible studies, um, other things that people may be accustomed to for their spiritual thriving, that they know how to feed themselves on God's word. There's not a part of life on the field that's not touched by your knowledge of biblical literacy. It impacts your marriage. It impacts your relationships with teammates, with how fluent you are in gospel as you share with neighbors, as you disciple your own family. And so it's been so sweet to get to be a small part of sending people out, hopefully ready to thrive spiritually in dark places and difficult places to live. And so, yeah, there's a tension for us still. Mm -hmm. There's times in tears we've had to get up and leave the room when we're watching a video about chat and there's people that are headed out to be in the same place that we were. But there's also such a joy in that and knowing that the Lord of the harvest knows and continues to call and draw people to his harvest among the nations. And so it's really sweet to get to continue playing a small part in that. Wow. I mean, all of the journey, all of the unexpected, all of the turns that you just couldn't anticipate. I feel like you just beautifully reflected God's character of like in these hard times. It's so clearly that you both have known him deeper, uh, mm -hmm. learning how to lament, learning how to go to him with everything. It's just amazing to, to hear. And yeah, it's just so awesome to see where you are right now, serving people as they head to the field. Jake, your role as coach is so vital. And Mandy, your role as Bible assessor is, is crucial as well. And so, yeah, it's sweet to hear where y'all are now. And I just need to hear your advice now as you've talked about your two different terms in chat up, selling everything and moving, doing that twice, and now coming back here the third time and rebuilding your life. What have you learned through this process of leaving and selling and coming back and leaving and selling as y'all are now professionals at doing this? <laughs> yeah, I'd say Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 have both been extremely comforting to us. And one of the verses is like, you, O Lord, are our dwelling place through all generations. And that has been so, so true anywhere that we've been just to abide mm -hmm. deeply extravagantly in who God is and who he welcomes us into communing with him in each place that we've called home has been such a sweet thing, knowing that truly we are under the shelter of his wings, as inefficient maybe as our journey has seemed in looking back and wondering in the middle of it, zoomed zoomed in, like, God, what are you doing mm. when we zoom out and remember that we've been under his care and that this has been how he's growing and forming us as disciples? We can look back with so much thankfulness for all that he's done to not just give lip service to his character, but to have experienced him be so many things to mm -hmm. us is just, yeah, a priceless gift to know him deeper, like you said, in each of those places and to experience him as our dwelling place. And not just for Jake and I, but for our boys too. They've been through so much mm -hmm. and they've seen God be so good and gracious in those, those areas, those times that have been difficult. And we pray they always know and remember his presence because it's been with us in, in all the places we've called home. Yeah, I would basically say the same thing. Uh, learn to abide in Christ. Like Mandy said, he is our dwelling place ultimately. And so while we're called to go and we're called to proclaim and we're called to do all these things, that really it's through abiding that we obey Christ. And by spending extravagant time in his word and in his presence, God's going to use you where you are. If that's in the middle of the desert or if that's in Atlanta, Georgia, or you know whatever that is, giving your life to God doesn't mean it's not going to be bumpy, but he is worthy of every step that we've taken and we trust him with that fully. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I feel like 
someone listening could be considering, like, what is this Chad country? You mentioned it being hot. So I would just love to hear um, from your perspective, what is the country of Chad like? How hot is it really? And what is the need to go and share the gospel there? Yeah, there's a great need. Chad has the most unreached people groups of any African country. Um, There are a lot of different people groups there that are still unreached and unengaged. So there's a lot of work to be done. You know, it's a hard, it is a hard place to live. I mean, it, it, it does get hot, you know, in hot season, it can get 110, 113, you know, 115. And, uh, you know, it's simple, very simple living, even in the capital. Electricity is off and on. And, you know, there's not much more comfort than there is out in the village. But truly, the people that we've met and gotten to know there, the Chadians are wonderful, welcoming, hospitable people. And so our team leaders ingrained in us that you cannot stay in Chad without local Chadian friendships and relationships. And so that's the key. And I I think that's probably the key anywhere, right? We don't want to treat anybody like they're a project or like they're just somebody that we're here to serve, but really building friendships to where the first person you think of when you need an egg is a neighbor uh, and not necessarily another worker. Not that that's wrong, but just learning to rely on the community that's there in their markets and and their way of life. It goes a really long way and it's it's something that will sustain you there long-term. And maybe we were a bit uniquely prepared for Chad coming from Texas and being (laughs) accustomed to heat. But kind of as a team policy, we didn't talk about the heat. It was just something we kind of all agreed on. Like, hey, it's here 10 months of the year. It's brutally hot and it's not going to change the more we talk about it. And so it just was helpful to like not even entertain that thought and instead to think about sweat being such a good gift from God. (laughs) He's given our bodies what they need to live in lots of places. And so... Yeah, just to be refreshed by the way God provides for you, wherever you are, wherever he calls you, and to focus on thankfulness was such a good like heart posture for all of us. Yeah. So yeah, it's hot. And even more than that, God is faithful. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You hear it here first, listeners. We are thankful for sweat. (laughs) This is a gift from the Lord. Oh my goodness. That that is so sweet. And so... (laughs) Going back to your current roles, I would just love to hear more of just your heart behind it. Y'all talked a little bit about it before, but especially, Mandy, your role as as assessing our future missionaries and their Bible assessment levels. And so just I would love to hear more about your heart behind that and what you've seen the Lord in in this time. Yeah, so I would say so much of our journey informed needing to know Scripture in a deeper way. And I think God has been abundantly kind and gracious. Like the Holy Spirit is always revealing more of Christ to us throughout our spiritual journeys, right? But there's so much that I missed growing up. My dad is a pastor. I was at church every Sunday, plus every Wednesday and every extra time that we could possibly have been at church. And I think people were so faithful to teach, but my eyes have just been opened in a whole new way, probably in the last 10 years or so to the one big story that all of scripture is telling from the first pages of Genesis to the end of Revelation. Every bit of it points to Christ. And Mm -hmm. it's this unfolding narrative that tells of God's glory among the nations. And so it's been so sweet to learn a bit more about the covenants, the story and structure that takes place through that. And then also like the culmination of God's promises getting deeper and richer as we come closer to Christ. Mm -hmm. God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled when he had his son Isaac, but also even more so when land was given through Joshua and then a king and David and a beautiful temple through Solomon, but all the more the perfect seed that was Jesus Christ. And then the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled in Revelation, just so fun to trace and learn how to do that through different themes that unfold in scripture. And so I just love especially biblical theology, learning more and more about what these themes are that we can trace through scripture and how it's not cold or separate from life. I think so often people think of a theologian as someone who 
yeah, is cold and maybe disconnected from the warmth of knowing Christ. And it has not at all been that in my own discovery. And in wanting to encourage, I think especially moms, um, especially people that may not be extremely excited about pursuing a seminary degree, to learn that we all are theologians and what we believe about God informs every other part of life. And it truly is important. Whether you would claim to be or not, your theology informs how you make decisions, how you love and serve those around you. When you encounter suffering, what does that look like? And so to continue to dig into scripture and realize this beautiful story that points to Jesus matters so deeply in every realm of our lives. And so it's been fun to get to share resources that have been helpful for me to be blown away by how much people do know and to get to step into some of those places we have classes and an educational pathway where we can point people on their journey in learning more. And so I think people get really nervous about a Bible assessment, but basically it's to show where your places of weakness might potentially be so that you're investing and learning there. Because if the gospel is going to go out to all the world and unreached people groups are actually going to hear, it matters how we share and how we're formed as disciples in that process. And so, yeah, I love getting to do this and to get to connect a little bit with the people that Jake will continue coaching to their their teams and their locations. Yeah. That's so awesome to hear. Yeah, just your heart behind it. Beautifully describing part of the first half of the Old Testament. I'm like, wow, Mandy, just keep going. <laughs> keep, keep showing us the whole story. I love it. Oh my goodness. And yeah, just for our listeners to know, I think it's really cool, like the role the Bible assessment plays in our process of getting people to the field. Because in the past, missions organizations or many of them required seminary degrees to get to the field. And so this kind of, yeah, lets people pinpoint weaknesses in that to make sure we have the full overarching picture um, of the biblical narrative. The goal for us is to send out people holistically healthy, yeah. right? So we look and see how are you mentally healthy? You know, we want to make sure people are physically healthy to live in Africa and, you know, spiritual, spiritual health is just as important as mental and physical. And so in the Bible assessment, we don't use that in the assessment process to be appointed. We have people that come through that don't need any Bible requirements. We have people that come through that are appointed that need all of their Bible requirements. And so we don't say, no, you can't go anymore. We just say, okay, now here's some way that you can grow in your biblical knowledge and understanding. Because like Mandy said, as you form that theology, it informs everything you do in life. And so it's really important. And it's such a beautiful process that the team here has built. And it's to, to be for you. It's not a quiz of like Bible knowledge. It's do you understand the overarching narrative of scripture? Because that's going to come out when you're sitting with a man or sitting with a woman at a tea shop, and they're asking you questions about the Bible and different things. You need to know what you're there to share. And so can it overflow from you like spur of the moment when you have this opportunity to share the hope that you have? And yeah. so we want people to be encouraged about the hope they have to continue to grow in that hope that is Jesus Christ and to be able to articulate it well in another language, probably. Yeah, at least one, maybe more than that. And so. Yeah, needless to say, it's something that we're both very passionate about <laughs> and, and big fans of because we all need to grow. There's not a Christian out there that doesn't need to grow in understanding and, and biblical knowledge because it the word's alive and it, it can never be fully understood and you know conquered so yes yes and amen all the good things <laughs> and yeah one more thing I would just want to get your perspective on because you both do this so well you really want the local church to partner well with the sending organization as well as the worker we are sending the missionary going to the field and so what have you learned through your process of being connected and with the local church as you live across an ocean for them? And what is your advice on helping workers thrive and be encouraged while living in a hard place? It's a really good question. It's the church's role to send missionaries. We see that all throughout the New Testament, that the church is who sends them 
And so AIM wants to come alongside churches to send them, help churches send them well. And so it really, we, we call ourselves a sending agency, but really we're just the conduit to the field. And so we want to come alongside churches and say, if you're doing this really well, how can we serve you in helping get someone to the field? Or if you've never sent a missionary before, here's some resources and some help and some ways that we can come alongside you as well, because ultimately it's the church's job to to care for the missionary, to keep them on the field, and to receive them home when they come back, and to be involved and partners in the gospel, to not just send money, but for the church to understand what the missionary is doing, for the ins and outs of of ministry and what that looks like, and to be bought into that ministry as if it's an extension of that church, that you're still a member of your church, and, and you just, the extension is to wherever you're serving. And so, yeah, the, the local church is so important in bringing alongside um, or us coming alongside them to serve them, to send people really well. And then the same on the field. If there is a local church in the area that we're serving, we always, always partner alongside them and come underneath as missionaries, underneath the leadership of the church yes. um, to serve the church and, and to assist where we can and to help them grow where we can. But man, the church is the bride of Christ. And so we cannot do mission work without the church because it would be like if I came to a husband and said, I'll work with you, but your wife is too dysfunctional. I'm not going to work with her. That husband would say, no way, deal breaker. Like we are a package deal. <laughs> and so it's important. It's so important to partner with the local church here in the States and also on the field as well. Yeah, and I'll say on a personal level, one of the most beneficial and fruitful things for us, Jake was mission pastor at a church just before we headed to Chad, our second term, and we got to facilitate advocacy teams where people who were involved in all kinds of ministries at church would join together and specifically advocate for different families of workers headed out. So as someone serves in children's ministry and they're closing out their time, they pray for this family. As someone's teaching a men's Bible study and they're closing out their time, small group, whatever their involvement was in the life of the church, this group of people was committed to just bringing up not only this family and these workers, but the people that they're laboring to reach yeah. and God's perfect timing. And so that became a really sweet thing. And then for us also, we had an advocacy team our second time. And it was such a joy to think about these families kind of holding that rope, holding the tension between where we were and so desiring to see our people group come to know Jesus and seeds of the gospel to bear fruit and to know they were bringing up not only our names, but our friends' names, our neighbors' names, our teammates, as they went about life in the local body where we were. And so that was a really sweet thing. And knowing that this is how the manifold wisdom of God is made known mm -hmm. in Ephesians 3, it talks about through the church, this is how it will happen. And so again, we think about, God, this cannot be the most efficient way to keep using broken humans to do this wonderful, glorious thing, but it's how he's always worked and it's how he'll continue to work and how there will be nations gathered around his throne. Mm. And so what a joy to partner with the local church in Africa, and then also to get to be supported and loved on by churches. And so, yeah, advocacy teams were such a special thing for us in that, that space in between. Yeah, that's just such a, a cool picture of AIM coming alongside the local mm -hmm. church and churches in Africa and the missionary and yeah, that support and encouragement. Yeah, I love the advocacy team, the model you even help missionaries set up today as they move to the field. It is such an encouragement. And so my last question as we can end the podcast, I feel like can't think of anyone better who can give advice to someone listening who might be considering taking the next step, trusting Christ, being obedient to maybe even move overseas to work among an unreached people group. What would you say to them to encourage them? Maybe one day you'll even meet them as they go through this process. <laughs> mm -hmm. A couple things come to mind. One, you need to be abiding in, in digging into scripture and understanding if you are feeling led to head to the mission field, why? Where does that come from? What is scripture saying? 
you know, and, and what are you supposed to do in that? What is your job in that? What is your role in that? Two, I would say speak with a mentor, talk with them, somebody you trust spiritually who speaks into your life and and test that with them. You know, is is that something they see you doing? Is that a gift that they see in you that God is giving you? And if that mentor is not somebody that's in leadership of your local church, an elder or a pastor at your local church, I would test it with them as well. You want your pastor and or missions pastor, depending on the size of your size of your church, to affirm that call in you. So just I I would say yeah, abide and then test it with people. Um, and if they see that and affirm that call in you, then I think that that's great. If you don't have those people, it doesn't mean that you can't go. But it is very important to have a support system at home and, and to be involved in a local church that is is going to support you, even if they can't do it financially. Somebody that's going to send you and affirm that call. And so. Yeah, as someone's testing that, that, that's what I would say. Did you add anything to that? I think that's awesome. I also think stepping forward in the knowledge that Christ is worthy of anything he will lead you to. Yeah. Of any amount of suffering, of every day full of joy, of lots of mundane moments. I think it's super easy to glorify missions even to have a hierarchy of where places require extreme obedience and other places don't. All of life should look like following Jesus where he leads. And I think it was the Moravian missionaries that said, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And I love that we know how it ends, that Jesus is worthy. Now Mm -hmm. he was worthy. He will be worthy forever. The only one who's worthy of anything he'll ask you to do. And so even looking back over our story, like I never could have imagined the ways he would write each day, each event, joy and sorrow, but he's been worthy of everyone. Mm. And so if he leads you towards yes, heading overseas, if he leads you towards yes, staying to welcome and embrace refugees in your community, if he leads you in a different direction, he's worthy of each thing. And so, like Jake said, abiding in him, growing in your knowledge of him, seeking out counsel and input if God is asking of you, and just knowing that he's worthy of whatever it is he will call you into. It's all an adventure um, of following Jesus. And so, yeah, keep walking with him. He is worthy. Yes. And yes, oh my goodness, listeners, you might just need to back this episode up and listen to it one more time because so much wisdom was shared. Jake and Mandy, you are awesome. And wow, what a blessing it is just to hear a glimpse of your story, to hear how you've seen God move miraculously in your lives and the lives of your kids. And yeah, what a joy it is to follow Jesus and to hear from you both. Rachel, you are awesome. Thanks for the chance to share today. (laughs) Yeah, appreciate the invitation and and all that you do. We're really thankful for you as well. Yeah. Thanks, friends. So yes, if you're listening and you're considering, what is this country of Chad? And I want Mandy and Jake to personally tell me about it. Let me know. Reach out on our Instagram, on our website, and we would love to tell you more. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Inlander podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. Inlander is a production of Africa Inland Mission, a Christian mission agency dedicated to outreach among Africa's remaining unreached peoples. For more about our work and how you can get involved, visit us at aimus.org or look for us on Facebook and Instagram. For additional information and resources, see the show notes. And thanks again for listening.